So, a new government's come in and... On the chopping block, brace yourself because there is a lot. The Māori Health Authority scrapped. Māori names for most government agencies will be gone. A law helping ensure Māori children remain in the care of their wider whānau after being removed from unsafe homes is set to be scrapped. Yet another Māori policy heads for the scrapping. Te reo bonuses in the public sector. An onslaught of action when it comes to Māori. Ex-treaty principles bill, a move away from co-governance, a feeling that gains for Māori over the last few years will be lost. Right now, on the table, is a discontent from Māoridom about the policies that have been put forward to us, and we're definitely not going to be uh, silenced. Of course, Parliament, made up of the democratic government New Zealand voted for, makes the laws. And the new government made no secret of its policies on Māori during the election campaign. But is there a gatekeeper that could force its hand? The government's facing fresh legal action over its plan to disestablish Te Akafai Ora, the Māori Health Authority. It's the second time this week an urgent claim to the Waitangi Tribunal has been made against its policies. A Tauranga iwi has filed an urgent claim in the Waitangi Tribunal against the new coalition government's actions and policies. The government's been given something it probably wished it hadn't. More legal action through the Waitangi Tribunal against its policies. There's never been so many urgencies filed so quickly one after another for as long as I can remember that and I've been doing this for about 25 years. One claim's been granted an urgent hearing. The Waitangi Tribunal will hold an urgent inquiry into the disestablishment of Te Aka Fai Ora, the Māori Health Agency, despite a pushback from the Crown. But the Crown has one-upped the Tribunal. Christopher Luxon saying yesterday the government would act to dissolve the authority this week. Prime Minister, can I ask you, what is your view of the Waitangi Tribunal continuing with its inquiry into the action of the Māori Health Authority, given that that inquiry is inevitably now going to be retrospective? Well, look, again, that's a decision for them. Uh, what we're focused on is making sure we follow through on the commitments that we've had from before the election, which is to uh, repeal the Māori Health Authority. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, what exactly is the Waitangi Tribunal? How much power does it hold? And as Mike Hosking asks... What's the point of the tribunal if all they do is increasingly sticky-beat their way into areas that ebb and flow with the tide of any given government? We're welcoming back a guest for the second time this year. Kia ora, my name's Calvin Jones. I'm the kaihotu and the whare whakatupu mātauranga at Te Wānango Arokau. I teach into the Māori Laws and Philosophy Programme here. Uh, also an honorary adjunct professor in Te Kawa Māui. It's the School of Māori Studies at uh, Victoria University of Wellington. Uh, and I'm from Ngāti Kauhununu. Kawan spoke to us on treaty principles about a month ago. Before getting into the academic world, he worked at the Waitangi Tribunal Business Unit on and off for several years. The Waitangi Tribunal's a standing commission of inquiry and it's been established in 1975 to hear claims based on the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi and to investigate, inquire into those claims, report on them and make findings and recommendations about them. So take me back to 1975. Why was it thought that it needed to be established? So partly it comes as a kind of response to the fact that the Treaty of Waitangi, Te Tiriti o Waitangi itself, is not 
directly, independently enforceable in our domestic courts. So you can't mm. just bowl up to the High Court and uh, say, I've got an issue based on Te Tiriti o Waitangi that I need you to sort out. And so w- while it may be an enforceable in indirect ways through the ordinary courts, uh, there was no place where you could take your claim purely based on on Tetariti uh, to have that heard and resolved. So it provides a, a mechanism for hearing those claims and it comes at a time where there's been increasing pressure to address claims based on Tetariti and um, you know increasing direct protest action as well. And we think about uh, the kind of famous uh, hikoi, the land march that uh, Fina Kupa led, uh, leads right into the establishment of the Waitangi Tribunal. Good morning from Radio New Zealand. This is Joe Cote with Monday's Morning Report. The headlines, the Maori land march ends near Parliament today. Our reporters say the column now seems to number in excess of 4,000 people. It's been joined since early this morning by young and old, and in spite of rain, which set in late in the morning, the march's spirits are still high. This was back when Labour's Bill Rowling was Prime Minister. As the march was on its way to Parliament, the Treaty of Waitangi Act, introduced by the first Māori Minister of Māori Affairs, Matu Rata, passed into royal assent. So initially it's set up as a mechanism to deal with claims about current contemporary um, government actions. Um, So anything that the government did from 1975 onwards could be the basis of a Waitangi tribunal claim if it was in breach of the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. But then in 1985, there's an amendment to the legislation which takes the tribunal's jurisdiction right back to the signing of Te Tiriti in 1840, and that provides the jurisdiction for hearing the historical claims. And of course, it's in that period that we have most of the uh, large-scale land alienation and breach of, of Te Tiriti uh, and those kinds of issues in that period. So that becomes the core focus of the Waitangi Tribunal's work for some time. It was so groundbreaking that Americans are still looking at how it was done. This is from Vox as recently as 2022. These claims generally work like this. Iwi must register a historical claim with the Waitangi Tribunal to have their grievances heard and to proceed in the settlement process. If their claims are deemed well-founded, they can begin the process of direct negotiation with the Crown. After what can be years of back and forth, eventually they write the final deed of settlement that both parties sign. Who's on it exactly? So the Waitangi Tribunal, or the appointments of members are formally by the Governor-General, but on the advice of uh, the Minister of Justice in consultation with the Minister of Māori Development. So these are people who are recommended by government to sit on, on the Waitangi Tribunal. And the legislation talks about them being appointed both for their, not just their expertise or, or their, their own personal knowledge, but also because of their personal attributes, their experience of different uh, issues that are likely to come before the Waitangi Tribunal. So these are, it's a different kind of role being on a commission of inquiry than to being a judge. So people are expected to have background in the kinds of issues that the tribunal is dealing with, and they're expected to 
bring those experience and the knowledge that they have there um, on the substance of the issues um, in a different way to a, a judge uh, in a court, for example, would be expected to bring knowledge of the law and application of the law, but otherwise to base their decisions purely on the arguments and evidence that the, is put to them by the lawyers. The Waitangi Tribunal as a commission of inquiry has a bit more flexibility about taking on that kind of inquisitorial role so so that tribunal members will ask lots of questions of course judges in court do that too but as i say they're expected to bring their own experience and knowledge to the issues before them it's not just judges is it there's no. people of different experiences or different backgrounds here yeah? that's right so there certainly are Māori land court judges who sit as waitangi tribunal members and i should say that there there can be uh, up to 21 Waitangi Tribunal members who are appointed, and they don't all hear claims as a group of 21, they hear them as separate panels. Um, and so you have people with legal expertise, so Māori Land Court judges would fall within that. Um, you have people who have expertise in Tao Māori in some way, with language experts, people are experts in tikanga, experts in um, iwi history. Uh, you have other kinds of historians have been uh, members particularly relevant to the historical jurisdiction. You have people there who have experience in the public sector and policy, uh, people who have business backgrounds, um, other kinds of research or academic expertise maybe in social sciences, geography, those kinds of things, anything that might be relevant to the work that the tribunal undertakes. Mm. And importantly, the, the legislation also requires that the uh, appointments should have regard to the partnership between the two parties to the treaty. And so that what that's meant, or the way it's been interpreted and applied, is that there ought to be roughly the same number of Māori and non-Māori members of, of the tribunal at any one time. Could the minister get rid of members if they wish to? No, is the short answer to that. Mm. So the the tribunal members, and this is really important again, is a commission of inquiry that they have that independence from government. So they're appointed for a term um, and they can be reappointed for multiple terms, but uh, essentially part of the idea of having these as appointments made by the Governor-General is to uh, ensure that they are independent from government in that way. So how long's a term? Usually uh, three-year terms, or they can't, they can't exceed three-year terms. Okay. Who can put a case before the tribunal? So only Māori can bring claims to the Waitangi Tribunal. Um, any Māori individual can, uh, and it may be just on behalf of themselves, or it might be on behalf of a group that they belong to. Where does it sit? It doesn't sit in one particular place around the motu, does it? So it depends on the claim? Yeah, so one of the things that the Waitangi Tribunal, as a commission of inquiry, has quite a lot of flexibility about setting its own process. And one of the things that the tribunal has done uh, for a long time now is to uh, make sure that it is sitting in places uh, often connected to where the claims are. So uh, it, it does have offices in Wellington uh, and it has a space that it uses for hearings in Wellington there. But also, for example, if it was dealing with a, a district inquiry, some of those hearings would be held on the marae that are uh, associated with the claims. Uh, they might also hold 
hearings at other kinds of public venues because this, this is a public process uh, and it can essentially sit wherever it chooses to and, and often that is to try and connect with the substance of the claim. What, what do they do? Is it like a recommendation, a decision? What is it? Yeah, so the tribunal, it's required to make findings and recommendations that it, it puts to government, so it's usually in the form of a report, and the length of time that it can take to conduct a hearing and produce a report can vary quite significantly. Uh, so for the big district inquiries where you might have hundreds of claims uh, heard in a single inquiry process all relating to a particular geographical district. Those hearings themselves might be held over the period of a number of years uh, and it might take several years for a report then to follow. But the tribunal also hears urgent inquiries and they can happen very quickly. Uh, and so they're given a kind of urgent status because something is about to happen or something is already happening that is having a prejudicial effect. So those inquiries can take place very quickly. They might have a much shorter kind of hearing process and produce reports on those quite quickly and get those findings and recommendations to government. So it could be in the space of a few weeks or a month or so? It has been. But you have to apply for urgency, right? So... It's not just granted if you want it. No, that's right. Because, of course, what what an urgent inquiry does is it shifts the tribunal's resources away from its planned hearing program uh, into dealing with these urgent matters. So it is quite a high threshold that needs to be met before a claim will be granted an urgent hearing. Just say they don't think a claim is worth looking at. They can say no, right? They don't have to look at every claim that's put to them. The tribunal has quite limited scope in terms of the claims that it can refuse to hear. Uh, mostly it is required to hear any claims that falls within its jurisdiction in terms of being a claim made by Māori, uh, a claim which alleges that the government has done something or hasn't done something, which has been in breach of the principles of the treaty, um, and that that's led to some prejudicial effect. So those are the kind of key elements of the, the tribunal's jurisdiction. And there are some claims that the tribunal's not allowed to hear, so it's no longer allowed to hear claims relating to historical matters. Then they write a report up and it has some recommendations and then they give it to the government, right? That's right, yeah. What do the government have to do with it? Can they just look at it and throw it aside or do they have to do anything particular with it? They can accept or ignore uh, the Waitangi Tribunal's findings and recommendations. Uh, the Waitangi Tribunal it does have a very limited binding power in, in relation only to state-owned enterprise land and Crown Forest licensed land, but otherwise the tribunal is making recommendations. So those are not binding on the Crown. Government can choose to accept or ignore um, as they see fit. And it's usually what will happen with uh, the contemporary claims is that uh, would usually be the kind of particular government department responsible for the subject area that is tasked with developing a response, uh, which, as I say, might might accept tribunal recommendations or not. What are some examples of 
some claims that have been made to the Waitangi Tribunal that have really changed the landscape, like some of the really big claims that are well known? Well, one of the kind of biggest claims and perhaps one of the most well known might be the Ngaitahu claims. And so this was a large scale district inquiry that the Waitangi Tribunal undertook into claims, uh, the, all the Ngaitahu claims through, through the South Island. Uh, and of course, that led to one of the first settlements through the settlement process. They came from Auckland and they came from Bluff to witness a piece of legislation they say finally recognises the mana of Ngaitahu. They've waited years and years for this. We're looking forward to the future for our mokopuna. We ended up forming uh, really the basis or a kind of template for how treaty settlements would roll out. So that's one example of the historical claims process. One example of a, a, a kind of policy area is, or a contemporary claim, is perhaps the Te Reo Māori claim in the 1980s. The Māori Language Board argues the Treaty of Waitangi guaranteed Māori's full right to their language. Agreement from the tribunal would hasten official status for Māori. The tribunal recommended things like Māori becoming an official language, the establishment of a Māori language commission. And so we've seen both of those things happen now and both actually have quite a big impact on, on use of te reo Māori. So yeah, those are some of the examples of big claims that have come through the tribunal. Now we've got Y3307. Yep. That's the Māori Health Authority claim, which has been given urgency right. Who's made that claim? What are they saying? Um, the claim's been brought by Janice Cooker and Lady Tūreiti Moxon on behalf of governors, managers, staff and Māori cared for by Māori-owned primary health organisations and Māori providers uh, with GP clinics. Um, so this is one of these claims which is brought on behalf of a, a wider group. The claim concerns the Crown's and the government's intention to disestablish Te Aka Order, the Māori Health Authority. And what the applicants here are seeking, they're saying that this is in breach of the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, and they're wanting the tribunal to make that finding, to make the finding that it, this is also prejudicially affecting Māori, and recommend that the government uh, do not disestablish Te Aka Water. The mere fact that they don't have anything to replace it and they're saying that it's premature at this point in time to, to do anything or to say anything about that, it's, it's just, it's unacceptable. The tribunal still plans to look at the case in spite of the government's speed, but it can't do that when the issue is before Parliament. The tribunal hearing simply just uh, stopped and uh, without the Crown actually hearing what the inherent grievances are. This actually follows on from an ongoing inquiry that the Waitangi Tribunal has into uh, health services for Māori. Uh, and in the first stage of that report, the Hauora report, the Waitangi Tribunal had found that primary healthcare funding model disadvantaged Māori organisations and consequently uh, Māori patients. So had had found that the Crown had breached its obligations under Te Tiriti to design and administer a primary healthcare system that addressed Māori health inequities. Now, one of the things which actually came out of that inquiry uh, in a kind of two-stage process was the development of the policy for an independent Māori health authority and eventually the establishment of Te Aka Whai Order. Why 2575 findings have upheld the need for greater focus on Māori health equity and establishment of an independent Māori health entity. 
The new Māori Health Authority will be a game-changer for our people. And so the claimants are saying Te Aka was a mechanism that was put in place in order to address a breach of treaty principles. And so to take it away, again, um, leads you back to that situation where you have a, a breach of treaty principles because you have a system which is delivering inequitable health outcomes for Māori. But to come back to the beginning, does it matter what the tribunal decides if the government doesn't have to listen to it? Even where the government chooses to ignore the tribunal's uh, findings or recommendations, one of the things that the the tribunal does, though, is is allow for uh, the evidence to be put around treaty breach and for that to um, be made public uh, and can provide through some of its reports a, a kind of persuasive political argument. And the tribunal itself is not political, but it provides the kind of evidence base uh, and the treaty analysis that might allow others to to pick that up and, and try and use it as um, to generate some political pressure on the government. There are some concerns about the Waitangi Tribunal potentially going beyond its remit because it's addressing things like a constitution... New Zealand First Deputy Shane Jones said he objected strongly to the inquiry. Mr Jones said any change to the constitution should be the prerogative of democratically elected officials. Where on earth does the Waitangi Tribunal think it's got a higher level of moral authority to undertake that exercise, possibly very divisive, I don't see that as being beyond the tribunal's remit at all because it still is going to be providing findings and recommendations to government. So it will still come down to government to determine what it does with those findings and recommendations. And ultimately, um, it will come if there's law, any law change that's required, of course, that needs to go through parliament. So the tribunal isn't overstepping its bounds as a commission of inquiry here. It's simply doing what it was set up to do is to inquire into these claims that there's been breaches of the principles of the treaty and to make findings and recommendations about how to remedy that. Why do you think there have been concerns around that though? Well I think I think the concerns are really raised for political reasons and there's not necessarily good understanding about the way in which the Waitangi Tribunal works. So for example I think it is really important to note that the Waitangi Tribunal doesn't settle any claims. Uh, So it's always making findings and recommendations that go to government or that then feed into the um, negotiations of historical claims with uh, the settlement group at Te Arafiti. Um, So, and and I think that's a, a common misperception is that the Waitangi Tribunal has demanded that this claim be settled in this way. Well, Tribunal doesn't have the power to do that. That's it for today. Namahi nui to Carwin Jones. The detail is funded through RNZ and NZ On Air. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. It was produced by Alexia Russell and Davina Zimmer. And I'm Tom Kitchen. Noho ora mai, ma te wa. <laughs>